What's up, everyone? It's Coach Casey with the Parisi Speed School back. I know it's been a couple weeks, but we're back with a couple great episodes here that are going to be hitting over the next few weeks. The first one is actually a recording from our Q&A with Bill Parisi um, in our mentorship. So we have a 12-week mentorship for those that don't know. We help sports performance coaches understand speed and youth performance training better so that they can either monetize it or improve on their own coaching systems. And one of the cool things we did this round of the mentorship, I always call it a semester for whatever reason, the spring semester of the mentorship, is we had uh, two new weeks. So the first week we did was fascia science, uh, something that if you followed Parisi for a while, you know Bill is really paving the way for fascia science and sports performance. So we made it a week in our mentorship and we had Bill come on and, and answer questions from our coaches and it was a really good dialogue as it relates to how sports performance coaches can really utilize fascia and fascia science in our own coaching practices. So we pulled the audio from that mentorship Q&A, and that's going to be our podcast episode today, and it's pretty sweet. We've got a couple more different topics, but very similar format podcast episodes coming up down the road, so make sure uh, you subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it so that you can get those when they do come out. And if you're interested... I'm going to put a link in the notes here, but if you're interested, we have a free week of the mentorship. It's pretty cool. It's a free week of the mentorship. There's going to be a link in the show notes. If you click on that, you can enroll. It's free. There's, I mean, I said that's a free week, but you can throw your email right in there and we'll start it off. It doesn't need to be at any certain point. We don't have our fall semester starting until September 5th. But we said, hey, this stuff is really good. I think coaches are going to like it. So we, we kind of ramped up a free week for people to try and just really see what our mentorship is about. I'm really proud of it. I think it's something we've done um, that's really helped the industry push forward. We started in 2020, and it's only grown since over the last two-plus years. So very excited for you to hear what the coaching call is all about. Uh, Bill Parisi talking fascia science. And also for you to try out that free week. Again, link in the show notes. Coach Casey out. On the other side of the jingle, Bill Parisi is in. Uh, welcome, Bill Parisi, chat two of three. Bill, you'll be coming back on week 12 here in three weeks. Um, I guess it's three weeks from today to, to just help us close out the mentorship. Um, but this week, we're talking fascia, fascia science, all things fascia, which is a very deep, deep, um, ever evolving as I'm starting to learn, ever evolving topics. So I'm sure we'll kind of bounce around the conversation in a bunch of different ways. Um, Bill, you've been on this be before. You're, you're obviously a repeat offender here at the Parisi Mentorship Q&A. Um, these are very loose conversations. General just coaches either chime in, type in the mentorship questions. I have a list of questions myself, um, so it definitely won't be stale. I've told Chris Armel, our Parisi coach of the year, that I'm going to refrain from talking all of the time and let everyone ask more questions. Um, I tend to, in the past, have dominated the conversation. I'm going to step back here, enjoy my Diet Coke. Um, but, you know, I don't know if you want to introduce yourself a little bit. Obviously, you've been on here before, but if you're ready to just dive into fascia Q&A, let's do it. Well, I can definitely start off with you guys with a Q&A, or you want me to start off with a little uh, overview um, however you guys uh, want to direct it, because it's really your time and we want to really focus the, the call, the presentation around your specific questions and needs, opposed to, you know, my, my PowerPoint deck that I have ready to go and share they've, my screen. They've seen it all. I, Carol hooked it up. Um, and you actually did a really good video podcast that was shared inner, inner athlete a few months ago. They did a, a nice little 20 minute video, 20 minute 
um, podcast with you that um, I posted yesterday in the mentorship that kind of kicked off the week and it gave a really good background as to how you kind of, you know, found, I guess, found fascia, like, like kind of unearthed the concept of it. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. is really cool. Like I, I, that was a really good intro. So I don't know if you wanted to touch on anything, but I'm ready to just dive into some questions. I think we're ready to go. Yeah. Anyone have a question? So, yeah, yeah, Chris Armel, let's go. So I, just uh, kind of nutritionally speaking, I know you talk about it, that it fashion is mostly water. Is there anything as we're training and as we're, you know, doing stuff nutritionally that we could help help enhance, you know, as as we're training, you know, we eat a little more protein to, to help with muscle recovery and stuff. Is it just water for fascia or is there a better way to help the recovery process after training? Yeah, I mean, it's really important that uh, the, the collagen intake, um, you take 15 grams of collagen with 50 milli, uh, 15 milligrams of collagen um, with vitamin C. Oh, I'm sorry, 15 grams of collagen uh, with, with, uh, with vitamin C an hour before the workout. Keith Barr has, uh, has proven how the, the intake of collagen is, is really important for the synthesis of, of the connective tissue, specifically the strength and health of the tendons, the ligaments. And um, I think it's, I think that's, that's really important, really, really important. So collagen uh, supplements, there, there's a lot out there. There's, um, you know, if you Google it, you know, I like gar garden of life grass fed, collagen is a good, is a good source. Um, but again, the magic number is 15 grams an hour before the workout buffered, uh, with about 50 milligrams of vitamin C, uh, is, is optimal for, for the regeneration and, and the, 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 the development of your connective tissues. Why the vitamin C bill? Do you know, is that like an activator? Is that, is that something that binds with collagen as like a transport like what that's kind of yeah i mean it, it helps synthesize the collagen okay. i mean like that that's that is uh going a little bit deeper than my my skill sets from a nutritional standpoint uh but i i definitely know this has been out there for a while hmm. um you know and, and gelatin you know people have been promoting the intake of gelatin for a long time which is you know collagen um, but, but the, the number that Keith Barr com has come up with has been 15 grams, uh, pre-workout an hour before the workout is, is, is what the optimal, the optimal loading, uh, effect. Hmm. So, from a nutritional, so, so also too, from a nutritional standpoint, obviously a well-balanced diet, but, but from a connective tissue standpoint, the ingestion, of, the ingestion of collagen is, is important buffered with vitamin C. That's the big takeaway an hour before the session. But I also, you know, hydration, foam rolling, um, getting those fluids, lymphatic flow, all those elements are really important to be doing, you know, pre-workout, obviously post-workout to uh, continue to flush the system and, and allow it to recover and repair. So again, using a lot of common sense with your training and, um, you know, just, just managing it because when we, when we're training, like, you know, it's funny because when we train, when we talk about training connective tissues, right. So 
there's there's a couple different ways to go about it, right? There's odd positional loading like Michelle does with the Viper and different types of um, omnidirectional submaximal loading, and and we're we're working on this more on the on the fascia element of it, right? Um, and then there's your more traditional kind of like sagittal plane loading or isometric loading and and doing that isometrically for 20 to 30 seconds is going to help strengthen the tendons uh and that's what keith Barr is showing uh the berlin method they call it there's a study that came out and it's doing i think it's four sets of uh four or four sets of five um of of four second isometric holds so you wind up getting somewhere you know if you do a set four sets of four or five sets of four sec up uh, five reps of four seconds or so that's that's 15 or 20 seconds and you're doing you know roughly about three to four sets of that that's like a minute under load under different different ranges of motion is going to actually strengthen the tendons and 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 make the tendons a little bit more kind of you know to a degree pliable you know um because your tendons kind of act like it's uh, this this hydraulic system um you know there's an element of of how the tendons work with your fascia and your muscle so when you when you do something fast, like a plyometric, you know, you're going to create stiffness very quick, right? And you're going to, you're going to push all the water out really, really fast. That's kind of like jumping into a pool of water, you know, from the high dive, it's going to hurt. But if you, if you walk in to the pool, your, your, your body's going into that water and the, and the molecules are, are slowly adapting to your body. When you jump into the water from you know, 30 feet, uh, you don't have enough, the molecules don't have enough time. It's, it's, it's creating a much harder sheet, right? So your tendons act the same way. So when you're doing something really fast, the tendons are, are getting stiff really quick, right? Uh, when you do isometric, so that, that's training them a certain way to be, to be, you know, strong, but, but, but get, get stiff really quickly right now. If you just do that type of training and you don't do any any of the strengthening in the isometric side of things, like that's where Nordic curls, right? To strengthen the hamstring and the hamstring tendons. So Nordic curls are gonna really help the, the tendons uh, actually become stronger, right? And then when you sprint and do drills and plyometrics for the hamstring, you're gonna get them to become, be able to be get, get stiffer and adapt that, 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 that force that comes on very quickly. So the point is training them in both ways, training the tendons in more of a traditional sagittal plane approach under load isometrically for reps of four seconds is going to kind of actually soften the tendons a little bit, uh, but, but, but get them stronger, right? And by doing the dynamic stuff, you're going you're gonna to stiffen the tendons and they're going to be more capable or, or trained to, to take on that, that quicker load. So it's, it's getting a combination of both and not doing too much of, of one way, right? Because what if you just lift and do just traditional isotonic isometrics all the time and, and you, you never really go out and sprint, right? Well, there's a risk of injury. 
And what if you never really do any traditional loading or isometric and all you do is sprint, sprint, sprint? Well, you're gonna get you're gonna get an issue more in the in the muscle, um, you know, opposed to uh, you know, in, in in the tendon. So I think it's I think it's important that you do both. Nutrition plays a role. We've got to get the tendon strong. I mean, the, the traditional lifting, you know, when you do your traditional isotonic training, you got to, you know, get more muscle-based training when you're doing traditional strength training. When you do your speed-related stuff, it's going to be more connective tissue tendon-based. And when you do isometric-based training, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be more tendon-based, is uh, tendon and muscle-based, but you're, you're really, you're putting a stress on a tendon in a way to self-organize and self-repair the, the weak links. And that's what Keith Barr has shown in his research by doing the isometric holds, what, you know, whether it be in, in different positions, um, you're going to strengthen the, the connective tissues where it's going to find the weak spots in the tendon because tendons, the fibers, there's going to be elements and fibers within connective tissue um, along that line that are, some are stronger than others, some are broken down, some are not repaired. And that isometric training plays a really, really big role uh, in strengthening in that tendon. And then, and then the other elements of training connective tissue, like the fascia, the omnidirectional stuff, the submaximal, you know, loading, med balls, viper, all that is addressing uh, connective tissue in another way. When we say connective tissue, we really mean tendons, ligaments, fascia. It's it's a kind of a universal term and it does get confusing and we're kind of oscillating back and forth a little bit here talking about tendon strength and training and then fascia strength and training so i want us to make sure we're not just when we talk about training it, all systems are in play all connective tissue is in play all the time it's what the focus is right like what is the the focus so and again, I believe it's important to cycle through and anywhere from, you know, two to four week cycles of your training uh, adaptation period. So the Berlin method, which is, again, isometric, four second reps, uh, you know, three to four uh, uh, reps per set and running about three, three to four sets. That's the Berlin method. And, you know, that's roughly, you know, 50, 60 seconds time under tension at different ranges of motion uh, has shown to, to really uh, help that tendon health. That's one element of training connective tissue of the actual tendon in that linear fashion. Then you got, you know, I, I consider that connective tissue training, fascia training. Then, then you got the, you know, fascia layers of omnidirectional submaximal loading. That's another format of training connective tissue, just like we train muscles, right? Same, same concept. Same concept. And again, at the same time, when we're doing these isometric holds and all, you're also training muscle too. You know, you're also training cardio. All the systems are in play, but understand, you know, same thing when we're doing viper training or med ball training. Muscles are being trained, right? Still, all systems are always in play, but it's, you know, what is the primary focus? So I'll, I'll pause there. Hopefully, uh, Hopefully that wasn't too confusing or you guys kind of got that a little bit, but that's, that's important. Oh, Bill, I have a kind of a clarifying question is, and they're probably synonymous terms, but just to clarify for the group is, 
you know, we say fascia training, is that just training connective tissue? Like all of that? Cause, or is it really, is there a delineation between like training the fascial system and the connective tissue? Cause it's, they're kind of one in the same. How yeah. would you explain that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think there, there could easily be some confusion around fascia training, connective tissue training. What is it all? Well, I like the way my friend Tom Myers describes it, right? So connective tissue is, I should say fascia is like the, you know, it's 90% water in college and it's kind of like the oceans in the, on earth, right? You have the landmarks of water, the Indian Ocean, Atlantic, Pacific, you have the uh, Gulf of Mexico, you have canals, you have different bodies of water, landmarks, right? Well, the same thing in the, in the human body, you know, we have this, all this different types of fascia. We have plantar fascia, we have the IT band, we have the thoracolumbar fascia, right? We have ligaments, we have tendons. All this stuff is, is connective tissue and fascia. Like it's all the same, majority of this stuff is the same collagen, type one collagen. So the majority of all these, all this connective tissue, fascia, ligaments, tendons, um, you know, uh, cartilage, it's all the same, for the most part, the same collagen. It's just aligned differently, right? Like ligaments have no flexibility. Their ligaments, the, the, the collagen is more matted together. You know, it's really locked in like a ligament, right? A tendon, uh, the, the, the collagen is more aligned uh, in a more uniform fashion. So there's more pliability in the tendon. And in, and in fascia, depending where it is and, and, and how, your, how your posture is and your movement is going to determine how that fascia gets aligned right when we're locked up and we have poor posture for 30 years well the fascia around your shoulder is going to be aligned more like ligaments right if you're a dynamic javelin thrower well the fascia across your chest and your core is going to be aligned more like tendons that is going to be more pliable right so so the body's going to create connective tissue or i should say fascia around joints uh and muscle based on our movement or lack of movement um, and, and when we say we're training fascia connective tissue, it's, it's kind of like a, um, it, it, it's a, I like to think of it as when you're training like more fascia connective tissue driven, it's not going to add mass. Like med balls don't add mass. Like when you do med ball training, right. That's a, that's a big time, in my opinion, connective tissue training. Cause it's, it's a dynamic load, right. A dynamic loading. Like sprinting doesn't really, isn't going to add mass, right? These, these are all more, you know, connective tissue driven things. Now, muscle still plays a big role. You're still training muscles when you're, when you throw a med ball or when you sprint, muscles are still playing a really big role. Um, but connective tissue, I'm not saying connective tissue plays a bigger role in these exercises. I don't, I think that's, no one can say what has a bigger role, meaning when I'm, when I'm doing fascia training, I'm doing med ball exercises of viper work or what have you, right? Um, doing, you know, omnidirectional submaximal loading. I'm bailing hay, I'm digging ditches, I'm laying brick, you know, I'm working muscles, but I'm also working stabilization and, and odd positions where connective tissue has to play a role. And if I do that over time, I'm going to build greater connective tissue. We know that, but all the systems are always in play. So the thing is, with those movements I just described, we know now that, hey, the connective tissue is like something that, that's being trained and we know it, like it's being trained. How much? 
I don't know. Is it more than muscle? I can't say. I, I don't know the percentages, but it's in play. And that's what we, you know, there's a benefit from in our connective tissues of performing these exercises. When I do my strength training, you're still training connective tissue. So when I do traditional squats or lunges or bench press, still tra I'm training connective tissue, but I know the main driver, we know for sure the main driver is muscle, right? Like, like we're definitely training muscle when we do those types of things, but also connective tissue. If we do a lot of those things and we only do those things, if we only squat, we only step up, we only lunge and we only live in the sagittal plane, well, we're not only going to build up a lot of muscle and good muscle strength in those movements, we're also going to build up some good connective tissue in those movements to a point where there might be an imbalance of so much stability in that one plane where other planes of motion are compromised because they don't have the same stability in other planes. That's why that's, you can call that overuse or, you know, the body has this great stability in this one plane of motion. Guess what? There's no sport on earth that I know of that is in one plane, you know? Um, well, maybe there is, but I don't play them. <laughs> right. Did that, did that help? It does. And it's, it, I mean, it, my mind goes into a couple of different ways, especially when you say like there could be an imbalance between like connective tissue capabilities and muscular capabilities. I always think of these like mutant pro athletes, like JJ Watt, for whatever reason, comes to mind. These guys that are just so big and strong that maybe they are the quote unquote weight room warrior that their training maybe neglected that element of connected tissue, odd positions that the position of D tackle or DN in, in the NFL will put you in these odd vulnerable positions. Do you, and I'm sure it's happening now. Um, I know like um, Paul Robbins and Michelle obviously share pictures at the, the summit about like this, all the pro athletes that are utilizing the Viper and load, load tools and things like that. Um, have you noticed, like over the last three to 10 years, have you noticed that the style of training is, it is becoming more, more, I guess, common to see connective tissue style training complement strength training? Yeah, no, no doubt at the higher levels, for sure. Like you said, a lot of NBA games and you see all these guys and Michelle is now going to more conference or sports related conferences. Now it's becoming more, more known and, and, and more accepted and, and important as we, as we understand you know, the importance of, of just doing these, these movements. And again, I, I like, that's why what's, what's great about our program. We, we, ha, we got it right 30 years ago, but we didn't know why, like we knew what we were doing was right 30 years ago, like in the Parisi program, because we, our whole program is based on omnidirectional movements. Like the whole program, our body weight was our best piece of equipment. Like we would train in a linear speed. We would train multi-directional speed and we focus more on speed training not as much in in strength training like we always we always knew strength training was important and it was a, a, a important element but we never made it like the most important thing where so many colleges and universities or coaches or trainers make strength training in the weight room squats and deadlifts and all that like the the main thing where we believe the main thing is running is movement is movement literacy run every day and you know what that's been our program. The crux of our program has been movement. And that's where, you know, like basketball players are the greatest athletes on the planet, you know, high level D one basketball players, NBA players. These guys are so big and so agile, but what they do, they just move all day. They run all day. They change direction all day. And, 
you know, what's being trained. When you really look at those guys, like besides their cardio system, right? They're not really adding muscle mass. Like, you know, any basketball player that plays a lot of basketball that adds a lot of muscle mass? No, right? But what, how, how do they get quicker? Why, why do basketball players tend to just jump higher and dunk? And, you know, and a lot of them, it didn't come from squatting more. Some they have, right? I mean, some definitely get better from lifting and we do that too, but, but it's just because they're jumping every day and, 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 and just playing every day. They're what's changing in their body is, is their free energy system, you know, their, their tendons and their, and their connective tissue. So, yeah. <laughs> I would also say to that a little bit, like you see positions changing, like Casey mentioned defensive end, like those athletes are way different than defensive ends of five years ago. And the same thing with basketball players and throughout sports, I would say like, you kind of see the positions changing in sports to being longer, leaner, a different kind of athlete. No doubt sports are moving to more of a speed focus, like, you know, NFL specifically, right. Or just sprint the field and, it's becoming more about speed, leaner, lighter, maybe, uh, maybe accepting, you know, like look at linebackers, look at defensive ends. I mean, they're so much faster. Um, I don't know how much lighter they are. Maybe they're a little bit lighter. I know linebackers aren't your traditional 255 anymore. You know, your middle linebackers, right? I think those guys are leaner. I know these defensive backs are, are not bigger than they used to be. I mean, you know, I mean, it's all about, and like when you look at these guys, they're not carrying a ton amount, a ton of muscle, right? They're not carrying a ton of that stuff. So, and I don't want like, it's like lifting isn't bad. If, if you just do too much of it, it could be bad. Same thing with quote unquote faster. If you do too much jumping or sprinting or med bolt, that could be bad too. You know, uh, it's just, it's just balance and opening it up and adding this variety of training, I think is, is the key. But now here's the thing, guys, I don't want us to get off on this tangent. Athletes still need a foundation of strength. Like they still need to like really, you know, squat at least, you know, 1.5 times their body weight, like just to get, you know, to get there. Right. And do that really well and ultimately work to, to two times their body weight. But there are some people that even say that's, you know, bull crap where, you know, I think the jury's still out, you know, what is that? And I think that really comes down to the athlete, the more I look at it and, 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 and assess it. Like some athletes really need to squat two times their body weight or maybe a little bit more to reach their speed potential. Other athletes don't have to, you know? And I think that's a genetic disposition of the athlete, like their genetic disposition. Like what is their, what are their homeostatic drivers? Like, is it more connective tissue? Are they more just, are their tendons tend to be longer? And, you know, like a lot has to do with the individual genetics of the athlete, the, the makeup of that athlete. And that's where when you train kids for a while, I think when you get a new kid and he's new to training, yeah, you get him stronger, you can lift them. I don't think you can go wrong doing that, get a foundation, progress them. He's getting stronger, getting faster. Great. It's when you hit plateaus, which you will, we all do. That's when you got to start. To say, oh, let me look at this athlete. I mean, do I need to do more, you know, plyos with this guy more connective tissue stuff, more you know, dynamic stuff, or is he still weaker? Does he still have more gas in the tank to get stronger, to get faster? You know, I got to tune up his technique. I'm forever tuning up technique. Just like, hey, man, speed is a skill. You always got to tune up. Steph Curry still works on a shot. You know what I mean? He's the greatest shooter of all time. He's still taking 500 shots a day. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, there's a dude that's got skill. 
and he's got to get his reps in, you know? So speed is a skill. You got to get your reps in and practice in that skill, working on acceleration, top speed, change of direction, multi-directional speed. Got to work on that all the time, hone it, hone it, hone it. And then working on, you know, again, where the, where, where can you get through that next plateau? Right. And it might be not just, you know, getting stronger, but it might be, you know, getting, you know, your, your, your dynamic strength stronger, getting, getting your ability to your rate of force development. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things you can, you can look at to, to break through those plateaus. And when we think about rate of force de development, and we look at these areas of, of where do we break through these plateaus? Because it's easy to get athletes faster in the beginning. Like they come to you as young athletes, 10, 12, 14, whatever that age is, 15, you get them stronger, you teach them some technique, they're gonna get faster, right? And that's, that's great. And we do a ton of that. But now they've been with you for a couple of years, they're 16 years old, they've been, they're a stud, and now they're starting to plateau a little bit. You know, that's like where we're at right now, right? Like now there's a kid, He's, he's, he's locked in, he's playing varsity, he wants to go play college, like he's, he's running a 4.8, like you got him from 5.1 to 4.8 or something like that, now you got to get him to, you know, 4.7, 4.6, now, now you got to, you got to really drill in, like on those kids, and that's, that's kind of like the world where, you know, what we're talking about right now, I think, again, for, for those other kids, you know, it's, it's this general preparation to a point where you can blend in some of these things we're talking about, fascia training, med balls, uh, a Viper. I think you can do that along with the general prep, getting them stronger with the squats. And, and we can build that into the warm up. you know, some of these things like med balls and Vipers and, and get that going, which I think is going to make the, the other stuff even better, right? Because you're developing this holistic athlete. But as once they get to that point where they are pretty strong, okay, what are they, you know, what are they lacking to break through that next barrier? And, um, you know, that's where you got to decide, do they still have more upside on getting stronger? Are they, is there a technique, you know, where it needs to be? And I, here's another thing I'll say, guys, uh, in terms of talking about improvement with athletes, the biggest thing that I'm saying is restrictions the athletes have, like connecting with a really good manual therapist is a game changer absolute game changer for this population we're, we're talking about right now because i don't care who it is anybody that trains and that's competitive and you can have the best coach on the planet they're going to have restrictions they're going to have limitations and you need a skilled professional a skilled therapist to help you figure it out like a really good manual therapist that can can really identify that can muscle test that can get in there and, and to grow your business, guys, what a great way to go out there, find someone, and you're going to tell them, hey, I want to bring you some athletes, my higher level guys that I want to get through some barriers or some plateaus. That, that therapist would be like, oh, my God, that's great. You want to grow your business? Go develop a relationship with one or two of these cats. And you bring a couple studs to them and it's a win, win, win guys, win, win, win. That's a triple win. So anyway, that's been a big, I have a network of therapists. I work, I have like four different therapists. I go to, I have a back guy. I have a, I have an acupuncturist, you know, physical therapist. I go see another guy. 
I got another guy that's a, a really good manual guy that understands biotensegrity at a very deep level. And it took me time to, you know, find guys in my area, but I have, you know, really three, really four different guys that I see for different things, uh, you know, in, in, in my area for kind of the higher level guys that I'm working with. Um, I'm sorry. I just keep going on and on, guys. Please cut me <laughs> you're off. The, you're the guest of honor. You're allowed to. We want to hear what you have to say. Um, but I do want to revisit that subject. As I know that's something we talked about with our independent coaches here last week. Um, and the importance of building a network, I think, is like, like foundational for anyone's long-term success. Um, I do have a quick question here from Ernie in the chat, Bill. I wanted to jump in before I, I forget to look at the chat. Um, it says, good afternoon, Bill. I was able to get introduced to fascia via FST a few years ago. I'm not sure what FST is. Maybe it means more to you, but um, FST a few years ago. In your opinion, how should you balance your recovery time via fascia training? Trigger point, stretching, rest. Should it increase water session, uh, increase water intake after a training session? Those are all just kind of general questions. Um, how should you balance your recovery time via fascia training? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I think connective tissue training, I mean, Robert Schleich put out some stuff on this, you know, twice a week. I think if you're really focusing on this, you know, it could be, you know, they talked about just as little as, you know, bouncing, like jumping rope for six minutes twice a week is going to give you benefit, right? I mean, uh, in terms of your, your, your connective tissues, but... When you talk about med balls, vipers, I really think, you know, a, a focused effort two times a week is, is, is a minimum, right? Is like really what you should be doing. And I also, in some ways, I, I break that up where it might be uh, Todd Wright, my, my friend, who's the uh, vice president of performance for the Clippers. He, he likes, I like his terminology, he calls it accumulation minutes. And uh, he might only do 10, 10 minutes a day, but it'll do it before games, pre-games, before workouts, and then accumulate those minutes, 10 minutes a day, you know, five, six days a week. That's, there you go. There's, there's an hour a week. That's like, you know, two 25 minute sessions a week or three 20 minute sessions a week, you know, by going 10 minutes a day with this stuff. So I think really looking at this, you know, I would say like 40 minutes a week of, of focused kind of connective tissue training is a minimum. And I don't think you need more than you know, like an hour uh, a week of, of this type of stuff of, of, of just focused on connective tissue training. Now, don't get me wrong. There's people that are farmers that do this six hours a day, right? Uh, and are really strong, right? You know, farm boys or, or masons or construction workers, right? They're, they're loading their system and all these different, so you can do it, you know, much longer, and uh, could there be more benefit? Absolutely, there could be more benefit of doing this stuff. But, you know, you also got to look at how much time does an athlete have and, you know, what are the biggest returns on investment, right? Time is an investment. So you got to look at return on time, right? What's your return on that movement and that exercise? And you got to evaluate how many hours a week uh, is your athlete have that they can train can they do anything on their own? How many hours are they willing to commit? How many hours do they have to put into the actual skill of the sport? You know, there's, there's a lot of variables there. And, and just, I think you guys just being part of this mentorship and just listening to this talk, 
I don't have all the answers. I never will. Um, I'm, I just kind of like, like you said, can't, you know, I guess discovered how important the connective tissue system is and um, that we it needs to be part of the program. You know what I mean? Just like, just like, you know, sprinting. If you want to get faster, you got to sprint, right? I mean, you gotta, you gotta work on sprinting. If you want to have better agility, you gotta work, you gotta work on it. You gotta work on change of direction. You gotta work on agility. You gotta work on multi-directional speed. You, you gotta do it, right? You want to be a better shooter. You gotta, you gotta take shots. If you, you want to be a more stable quote unquote, uh, in more injury resilient athlete, what you gotta, you gotta work on some of the things we're talking about here today. And what's always stood out to me is, is really twofold. One, I remember you, and I, I'm going to butcher this, so you'll have to correct me, Bill. You mentioned in a previous Q and a, and all the Q and A's with you have been recorded. They're all on the, the dashboard for anyone who wants to go back and watch them. I would encourage you to do so. Um, that, and I don't know the specific number, but majority of soft tissue injuries happen at the perimyosin level of the muscle, like yeah. the actual like sheath on the outside. Like it's not well, the actual muscle belly itself, yeah. it's the tissue around it. Yeah, there was a study out of Germany that came out. I don't think, I don't know if it was a year ago or a couple of years ago, but there, there's stuff that's out there now. Now, I would say, I mean, this is relatively new, but to me, it makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. that over 80% of all soft tissue injuries occur in the connective tissue. And they feel very strongly it's in that, you know, that perimyosin. So, you know, within the muscle belly, right? So what's, what's breaking down? Is it the actual protein uh, fibers of the muscle or is it in the collagen fibers of the perimyosin? And it's showing it's the collagen fibers of the connective tissue, specifically that perimyosin. I'm sure it's, you know, part of the, you know, epimyosin as well to maybe, maybe not the epi, but, but the peri is really what, what they believe is the, uh, been where the, the breakdown has occurred. And that's where I think things like, uh, perturbation training and, you know, aqua bags and, you know, just things that your, your body needs to stabilize, right. When you're oscillate and you're moving and you're challenging in different ways under speed, under load, and with, with elements of speed too, uh, with oscillation, running on uneven surfaces, uh, not always running on a perfect, you know, flat ground or track and, you know, disturbing the body, right? Like causing disturbances, controlled chaos for the body to respond to because there's so many nerve endings, rich nerve endings in, in connective tissue that help facilitate. Now there's more stuff coming out, facilitate contraction at the local level where it's not even, the signals aren't even going up to the spinal cord. You know, now this is not conclusive. This is hypothesis, but I, I, I'm telling you, I'm a believer in it. I'm a believer, and I can make these claims because I'm not a researcher. Uh, that you know, this connect. They, they know connective tissue has you know up to ten times more the proprioceptors and nerve endings than muscle. Well, if it has all those nerve endings, it's it's doing a lot more than just sensing heat and uh, pressure, and you know, facilitating co-contraction at a local level to to respond to a uh, to a stimulus you know, uh, is, is I can see how we create stability when we step in a divot, right? Some athletes step in a divot in a, in a grass field, they're going to twist their ankle. Other athletes are going to co-contract and fire and create stiffness and, and be fine. You know, like what, what, what did that athlete that stepped in the divot in that grass field that caused him to twist his ankle? What, 
what's different about him than the athlete that that twisted his ankle? Well, we know it's the ability to to co-contract and create stiffness to to protect that joint. And it happened a lot faster uh, with the athlete that didn't get injured and, and why. And I think that's obviously we all know that's trainable and whatnot. But now we know a little more about the science. It's not just the nervous system that's that's responding uh, and then being trained. Now, the nervous system is still a big player. Right. And it's facilitating, you know, the majority of what's going on in the body. Um, but, you know, again, there's more and more stuff coming out around the, around the connective tissue to, to help us. That statistic. I mean, if that, if you're a sports performance coach and we know an athlete's best ability is their availability. I mean, that is, that's a very, up to 80% of injuries or, or did you say over 80% or up to 80%? No, it's over. I think it's like 85 that, you know, the study said, I'll have to dig that out that are in, it's basically in the collagenous tissue. And yeah. I, you know, I mean the perimyosin, I don't know if it's specifically, but it's, it's, it's in that, in that wrapping and that enveloping of muscle of, of, of and when you think about it, guys, like it, it makes common sense. Like muscle itself is just protein fibers, right? Um, lots of water and, but like this collagen, it, it's what holds, it's the webbing that holds the muscle fibers together, the muscle cells, right? Like if that webbing's not strong, like either the, the, the protein fibers are gonna tear or the collagenous tissue is gonna tear or they're both gonna tear, you know? But if the protein fibers are strong, stronger than the connective tissue fibers, well, what's going to go? The connective tissue fibers are going to go if, if there's overstress. If the connective tissue fibers are really strong and the muscle's weak, the muscle's going to go. It's one of those two things or both that are going to get injured, right? It's either, and we know that now for sure. We know it's either one or the other or both, right? When you, when you get injured in, in, uh, when you have a muscle injury. You know, so, but now the, you know, the, the, we're, we're, the research is showing that, Hey, listen, man, it's, we didn't realize it's more connective tissue than we thought. I mean, like, wow, this connective tissue is weak. It's so important. It's so important for us as performance coaches to, I mean, you got to want to understand, understand the system, understand that it exists I, up to like four or five years ago. Like, I don't think it was ever mentioned. No, no. Right? It, I mean, listen, up until, I, I would tell you, I, I mean, the Fascia Research Congress only started in 2006 was their first meeting. Like up until like fascia wasn't even understood until 15 years ago. I mean, so now we're getting into performance um, with fascia. You know, obviously most people don't understand it. Most people don't even aren't aware of it, the implications of it. Um and, you know, it's just, it's really just being smart with your training and knowing that it's, knowing that it's viable and it's alive and it's, it's, well, it's technically not alive. It's meaning that it's, they're not living, non-living cells, fascia connected tissue or, or collagen fibers. So they don't require energy. You know what I mean? That's what's kind of unique. And that's what makes it, I think, so, you know, mysterious. And so like, oh, wow, you know, it's this, it's this connective non-caloric required tissue in the body you know that it's when you think of heart muscle or it's just you know, so different than anything else in the body that requires extreme amount of energy yeah like all your muscles require your organs like they're all made of cells that you require atp to to function right this stuff 
doesn't require that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just there, man. That's why it takes so long to heal. That's why when you tear a, a ligament, you, you got to get it surgically repaired. And when you tear it, when you hurt a tendon, it takes a long time to repair compared to a muscle because only about 10% of the cells, these fibroblast cells are, are, you know, laying down new collagen to repair that tendon. Like you're not adding new cells. It's, 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 you know, you got to wait for this stuff to lay down new collagen. That's why tendons take longer time to heal. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I think, you know, like from a personal level, like my wife just had her second child here 16 weeks ago and she had a C-section where they're just slice and dice right through fascia linings galore. And as she starts to make her return into fitness and, and training, it's been very interesting working with her in that regards, as far as um, you know, being very mindful of, of the tissue damage that she's gone through. And I think when it comes to the practical application for performance, as well as just humans and things that we go through, whether it's post-op surgeries, childbirth, um, you know, like imagine like get, you have a shoulder surgery and they've sliced and diced through every sort of fascia lining around the shoulder cuff. You can imagine all of a sudden now you're, you're being told to move and load and do this and that. Like, I've never once heard a therapist mention fascia. And that's what really, you know, we've talked now, like you mentioned this as well, Bill, like the reason you want to get up and moving is because of the fibroblasts, is because of the different fascia lines that can be imprinted on the body being immobilized. Like that's, it's, it's just crazy how what we all thought it was is so no. much more than that. Yeah, no, it, it really is. Uh, I know we got like, I guess, 10 minutes left. Are there any, any other questions in the chat or hopefully, you know, I want to make sure this is worth everybody's time and they're getting some good takeaways. Check in the chat. I have one question that I know it gets asked very common. Um, and if no one has a question, I'll ask it because it typically gets asked at some point this week. I know it's only Tuesday. Gender differences in connective tissue training very similar to how there's gender differences in like, I guess, like hormonal production and as it relates to strength training and things like that. Is there really any with connective tissue training or because it's like a non-caloric structure, like, is it kind of an even playing field? That's a really good question. And I, I don't, yeah, I'm really not qualified to answer that question. I, I don't know if there are anybody that really is at this point in time, um, but uh, there's so much research Think about all the research that's been done on muscle Crazy. training, right? Like on you training decades. muscles, right? Decades, thousands, uh, maybe millions of studies, right? On all different types of strength training. There's very little on connective tissue. In fact, I mean, we're still at the early stages. Like I think the whole male female conversation about just general muscle training is, is still relatively new. I mean, it's not that old, like connective tissue, man, that's, <laughs> Here's what I would say, though. I would say men have an advantage. Men, I think, you know, recover faster. I think they have more connective tissue. I think women are, are probably more pliable. Their hormonal response is probably different because they uh, bear children and have to give birth. So there's definitely massive you know, differences, male and female. When it comes to the training um difference i'm sure there's something and i'm sure you know women are you know are not going to respond 
uh, as as quick as men. Um, I, you know, but I don't I don't really have the answer. That's that's a really good question. It's just something that always comes up in every aspect of performance training, right? Because we always separate sports, men's sports, women's sports. You know, and there's I think such a big um, what's the right word? But there's there's a big onus on on the uniqueness of athletes and gender is a part of that. So that's always a question that's come up in mentorships past. And I wanted to, to ask and see if, if you had, but that's a really good insight as far as just the, the differences, like men having more connective tissue, women having more pliability and hormonal responses like that. I'm sure those things on a surface level, you look at those and say, yeah, like that's going to impact recovery, impact trainability, different things like that. So, um, you know, it is, it is good insight on your end for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt. Um, yeah, any 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 closing remarks or or feedback from the group? I mean, we got ten minutes left here. Uh, you know, just want to make sure, you know, did everybody get what they wanted to get out of this in terms of you know a conversation on, I guess, fascia connective tissue. That's that's the most important thing. I mean, Carmel, you've done the mentorship now. This is twice over. Um, what are your thoughts on the mentorship just semester to semester? Because I know a lot of people in here, it's their first time, but you've actually done this is twice for you. Yeah, I'll say the the sheets, like the last time I took it, you guys, you guys were updating the manual. So all those sheets have been like we hired a new coach and those sheets have made it so easy to teach them the different stuff. So that, that those sheets are huge. What um, sheets are those? Come, I'm sorry. What sheets are those? They're the ones that come right out of the manual. Oh, oh, well, for the mentorship, you're saying. Yep. Yeah. So some weeks, Bill, we've taken some of them. We've got a combination of Catalan cheat sheets from the coach's manual. And then oh. this semester, we went, we doubled down. This was um, courtesy of working with Paul Staples um, on the business of team training, like the onus and input he gave on just giving tangible deliverables. Lot of lot of PDFs going through whether it's we're creating them for the week or it's something we've had, but making sure coaches get the the deliverables. You know, like that was a big a big feedback point from last winter, last fall to now was like, hey, there's a lot of content. Uh, you know, sometimes the fire hose gets turned on. Like, how do we how do we regurgitate? How do we retain all this stuff? So um, I'm glad that was noticed, Chris, because that was something that was a big difference from last year, 2021 to this year, 2022, we were trying to do. Yeah. And th then I'll say these two, the Q and A's like last time it was, it was Casey a lot going over all the information and trying to make sure everybody understood it. But now it's Casey and whoever's leading the field in that particular category or thing for the week. So that's been not just listening to Casey, who's valuable, but, but also, somebody out. who's yeah. <laughs> get me out of it next week yeah. we've got tom uh, milo's coming on my tom mizinski he's coming on to talk team training it's gonna be sick yeah 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 and i know i think uh ernie sorry fascia stretch therapy uh what was that one that was what fst stood for fascial stretch therapy oh 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 sorry yeah 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 fascia stretch oh cool very cool yeah no there's so many i think um concepts coming out now around fascia like fascia steps and i think they all have something to offer you know i think all these different people are diving into different aspects of fascia which is great i think there's something that you can learn from from all of them uh you know i think it's great and i think it's for you guys like you know sharing too this is not just about us 
you guys sharing amongst amongst each other. So with Ernie sharing, you know, fascia stretch therapy, I would say to Ernie, Ernie, what's one one or two big things you got from that education about fascia stretch therapy? Or, you know, is he still on? No, he bounced. But we had two actually two good questions that just popped up in the chat from Kyle and Valerie, who are here still. Um, Kyle's question is looking at recovery. Is there a way to help improve recovery time? In connective tissue injuries and then valerie has a really good question regarding recovery is there a metric or parameter you use to assure you're maintaining fascial mobility without compromising the fascial stiffness that you accumulate throughout training so i guess valerie's question is really good like what parameters do you use to assess fascia yeah i mean i think i don't know if it's if it's one element you know that um that you can, you know, one, one testing modality, I think your traditional movement assessments such as overhead squat or just looking and observing the way an athlete moves, like looking at their, their joint angles, looking at their foot placements when they run, are they internally, externally rotated, they pronating, inverting, everting, you know, what are they doing when they're moving and are they moving symmetrically? I think, I think, practice is the ultimate evaluation tool and watching your athletes warm up you know just looking at their their movement seeing where their restrictions may occur right um so you know the overhead squat i think is a great way to assess uh movement but also every warm-up drill is an assessment you know when i when i look at my athlete i look at every warm-up drill and i see where they're restricted and if they're restricted somewhere I'm going to find where they're restricted. I'm going to put a little pressure on them. I'm going to, I'm going to find like some of those, maybe some of those hot spots or look at different, different areas of the body to try to loosen it up uh, compared to, you know, what, where their restrictions are and looking at that kinetic chain and where that might be. Again, I'm not a therapist, but um, if there's something there that's beyond my scope, I'm going to bring them to one of my guys to get them checked out. So I would say, Every drill, every warm-up exercise is an assessment tool. Look at their joint system, look for asymmetries and, and try to work through them, try to quote unquote, melt them away uh, in the warm-up by doing dynamic movements and you know, lots of ranges of motion and kind of understanding, you know, like you know, just the moves that could, could melt them away. So that's, uh, hopefully that helps with that question. Um, uh oh okay yep i think case any others that was the ones chris just had to bounce to go teach day jobs um but no bill i think that was really good because i what i always like with fascia is it is so new it is so mysterious in a way to a performance coach of like how do i get it in my training i know it's important but where does it and it's and it's just another parameter in fitness. Like you're talking about implements with like Viper, medicine ball, aqua bag, yeah. like you're training a well-rounded, in a, in a well-rounded program, you're probably doing it. It's just now you're better educated on what you're doing and how it affects your athlete. That's really well said. If you're training in a well-rounded program, uh, you're probably doing it. You Now you know why you're doing it. Now, but now, now maybe you're adding a little more of it. You know what I mean? Now you're adding maybe a little bit more med ball. You're going to add a little more Viper stuff. You're going to add a little more omnidirectional stuff. And you're going to just know, know why and, and really understand what those dynamic movements are doing. I think that's really well said, Casey. Very well said. I took it from you. Yeah. <laughs> remember the, the age old question, like 30 years ago, Parisi Speed School, would you do anything different? I remember you're like, you know, 
kind of lucked into it. I don't know if I would do a whole lot different, but now I know why I did it. I have a better understanding. That's exactly right. We kind of lucked into it. Like, I mean, like the med balls, all the movement, the omnidirectional stuff that we did, like so much movement based, like everything we've done was movement based, like all different types of movements with the body being the ultimate piece of equipment. We lucked into it. Like now we know, hey, what we've been doing and how we train athletes for the longest time is like, wow, we've been, it's been great. We've been, you know, we, we lift in the weight room. We never did too much of it. It was like 30% of our training. And we do a lot of movement, you know, and um, we absolutely locked into it. Now we do a little bit more in terms of loaded movement, like loaded omnidirectional. Now we know why. But that's that's a great way to summarize and end the call. And and guys, we, we really appreciate you guys being on this mentorship, being a part of it. And, you know, the goal is for you guys to get a 10 out of this, like to make sure this is worth a lot more than what you paid for it. And we always are conscious. We want to give as much as we can to help you guys succeed. So thank you for being a part of it. We appreciate you making time, Bill. We're going to see you again in week 12, which is going to be our wrap-up week, which we've had some early requests for um, talking business in week 12. Ah, right, so, right up my alley. I'll help yeah. them. That, that'll, be, that'll be awesome. It's going to be a good one. And that might be another, that could be another week that we potentially add down the road to just kind of some general business stuff. Because people do, you know, we're all, everyone here is, professional performance coaches. And I think that'd be a really valuable piece to, to dive in, especially with you on. That'd be great, Casey. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for the time today. I look forward to you know closing out with you guys on week 12 on business. Awesome. Thanks, Bill. Have a great day. See you, everyone. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.